suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Cloud. Welcome back, dear listener. Yes, episode 392 of the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. I'm Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist. With me, as always, NBN Connections, provided they're working, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Joe. G'day, listeners. I hope everyone's well. And Joe, the tech guy. Evening, all. Scott, you had a week off. Did you, yeah, listen, did. Did you listen to the podcast? Yeah, I've always listened to the podcast, even when I'm on here. Mm. <laughs> listened to it. Were you it upset with sense. us when we suggested you sh- you really should be a Greens voter and it's just you're in denial? <laughs> or did you recognise that we're probably right and just... No, no I, I don't think you're right because I think that if they, if they ever did get their hands on the government benches, then they would actually lose control and they would go out of control. And they would do some ridiculous radical shit. Did they do anything more ridiculous or radical than what the uh, Liberal government did in the previous term and what the Labor government is doing in the current term? I'm thinking AUKUS. Could they no, be any worse? AUKUS isn't radical, no. Yeah, could they could really? Anyway, the whole point is that did you see that thing that was on Facebook where the Max, whatever his name is, the Max Chalmers something or other, or Max something Chalmers, yeah. yes. The guy that's the member for Griffith. Yep. Did you see his speech that he gave in Parliament? Oh, I've seen bits of his different speeches. Anyway, that was really hard to disagree with. And I found myself feeling very dirty while I was listening to it because yeah. I just thought to myself, yeah, that bastard's making a hell of a lot of sense. So, you know, if they would actually restrain themselves to that type of attack, then I wouldn't have a problem supporting them. But, you know, and I will never forgive them for that whole Adani convoy that that dickhead Bob Brown launched. Mm-hmm. And they they did fuck up the Labor Party's chances of winning in, in central Queensland. It was a great election to lose. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a great election to lose because... A fantastic you know, election to lose. Yeah, I know. Because the because lib- Liberals had to print money, ruin the budget, and now lost mm. all credibility when it comes to financial competence. It was a great, mm. that's the best thing the Greens have ever done, Scott. Scott, mm. I reckon this is like no, your battle they, with, they, they with... They are lunatics. They are lunatics. Scott, this, so. this is like your battle with religion. You must have walked up to the line, thought about it for a while, and then eventually crossed. And that's what's going to happen here with the Greens. I think. No, I don't think so. Okay. All right. In the chat room, Alison and probably her mother, Bev, Bev. is there, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Hello, Alison. And anyone else in the chat room, there's three people there. Say hello if you're in the chat room. We'll try and incorporate your comments. Well, what's on the agenda besides teasing Scott in the first few minutes? 
You can tease me all you want to, but I just yeah. think to myself, they are lunatics. Mm. So anyway. Yeah. We are going to talk about, well, this podcast is about news and politics and sex and religion. We're going to tick all those boxes in this episode. And we're going to talk about that book, which was Welcome to Sex and the Reaction. Awareness of the Pricewaterhouse shenanigans, Dan cancelling the Commonwealth Games, Scripture Union and their tax status, Labor and submarines, a bit on Ukraine, and then we're going to eventually find our way to an in-depth discussion, hopefully, about The Voice, looking particularly at culture. And one of the reasons I'm against The Voice which requires an in-depth look at culture. So what we normally do on this podcast, if you're new to it, is we kind of cover the weekly topics in the beginning and then put the more meaty ones towards the end. If you've got a podcast app like the Apple Podcast app, you'll see chapters. And so the topics that I've just mentioned will be in a chapter and you can skip some if you don't like the look of them. We could go back and easily repeat a section if you really like the look of it. So. Have a look at the chapters if you want to scoot around. I won't be offended much. You decide to skip it. <laughs> I will. Yeah. All right. First up, Joe, last week you mentioned that book, Welcome to Sex. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, which has now been withdrawn from Big W because of death threats to staff. Was that the reason why death threats? Yes. Right. Oh, I don't know. Certainly threats of violence to staff, yes. Right. Jesus don't know if it went Christ. as far as death threats. Yeah, um, yet again, the Christian terrorists have won, this just is... like they did with the Noosa Temple of Satan up at the J. Correct. This is very, I was just about to say, it's reminiscent of us mm. being banned from the J because Christians were threatening staff and abusing them. Yes for allowing us to use the service available to the public. Very reminiscent. Mm. It's had a lot more publicity since we spoke last week. Yes, um, it has. So apparently, though, it's a bestseller on Amazon and other book retailers. So I had a quick look on Amazon. Uh, ratings. Total average score from 61 global ratings is 3.5 out of 5, which would suggest... Not particularly good. Yeah. However, five-star ratings were 53%. One-star ratings were 32%. And that's highly unusual (laughs) when you look at it in a book. Like normally people are fairly – there's always going to be some people in the 1% category you can just never satisfy in in the one-star category. But that shows a divided community yet again. And, yeah, I mean, if you look at, oh God, what's his name's War on Christmas or Saving Christmas, the movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah a lot of those Christian movies, they're, they're all five-star, all one-star reviews. Yes. So this is There pre- is no middle ground. Pretty much. 53% were five-star, 32% were one-star, and the next one's a four-star at 11%. Mm-hmm. Three and two-star got 2%, 2%. So just looking at the comments... Five-star review from Frank, who says, Great book. Covers all the standard topics and also those that are probably too embarrassing for your kid to ask you about. An excellent resource for teenagers trying to work out what it what is what. That was actually from Sharon. From Sharon, the, the yes. Headline, 
Yeah, the headline said frank, oh. informative, and to the point. Thank you. That's true. Just in case Sharon was listening. Yes. 14 people found that helpful. Meanwhile, mm. D. Wilkins, subject title or comment title, absolutely disgusting, the content that's being aimed at kids. Since when did sexuality and sexual content get pushed so hard against kids until now? Let the kids be kids. This content is absolutely disgusting and no way is even remotely appropriate for the suggested age content. What's more is any child can just grab this from the shelves in a store. Disgusting. 75 people found that helpful. Yeah. This is obviously someone who had had a child in school for at least 30 years, I would say. Mm. Maybe 20 years. As soon as kids got access to mobile devices, believe me, they're they're, they're seeing considerably more than that in the playground. Mm. Maybe just delusional. Whether they want to or not. Mm. Yeah. Alison in the chat room, it's still for sale at Big W, but it's order Mm -hmm. online and can pick up in store or post. There we go. Mm. Hello to Sharon in the chat room as well. Right. You mentioned a theory. Yes, Sharon's a friend of yours from, is she in the island or something? She lives in Wales. Wales. Mm. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Joe, you mentioned a theory about. Kids who get sex education are less mm-hmm. likely to be abused. abused. Yeah. Yes. And you sent me a link to a study. But mm-hmm. that was really studies where they'd kind of, we're Talked doing role playing with prevention. Yeah. Kind yeah. of dealing specifically with what to do if you are touched inappropriately or something like that. So is it, is it definitely but, the case, though, that just general sex ed makes you less susceptible? So, short answer is yes, but it, it's to do with the ability for children to find safe adults that they can broach these topics with mm. and to have the words and to feel comfortable discussing this. Mm. And the more the subject is discussed, the more normative it is, the less shame they feel about it. I mean, there's the horrible story of a girl who was kidnapped in the States and she said, you know, everything in her upbringing was all based, her value was her virginity. Yes. And she felt that having been kidnapped and raped, that she had no value and therefore she didn't try to escape. Mm. She felt that she was worthless. Yeah. And and therefore she didn't even bother trying to escape because she had no value to her family now that she'd lost her virginity. Which to me is, yeah, is repugnant. Yeah. And therefore the more we can have these sensitive, sensible conversations that are, yeah, absolutely age-appropriate. And, and people seem to be in this naive bubble that kids of 15 and 16 are, are still playing with dollies. I don't know. Maybe they are, but not in the way that we think. Yeah, think. yeah. <laughs> Maybe, yes. Um, I don't understand why these people believe we live in the Republic of Gilead. Well, they aspire to that, perhaps. Yeah, I, it's just that this nonsense. You know, it's mm. absolute garbage. Your friend Sharon says, I live in repressed socialist Wales. Everything gets banned here. <laughs> well, that's because they have the sheep to worry instead. Come on, Sharon. Surely the socialists would be fairly liberal when it comes to bedroom issues. Yeah. Well, no, Russia was notoriously sex negative. Was it? 
at the time yeah. of the Russian Revolution, are we talking? That, no, 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 no. Oh, just no, no. During the communist the regime. Soviet okay. Union was, the yeah. Soviet Union was terribly repressive. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. That's why I don't like Vladimir Putin all that much. He's anti-gay. Yeah, he is anti-gay. Right. But, you know, it's I, just what I think. I don't think the Nazi elements in the Ukrainian army are too fond of you either, Scott. Yeah. No, but there's not a hell of a lot of them there. You know, even just, even oh. even the Wagner group head left and that sort of stuff, and he said that there is no fascists. There are no fascists in the Ukrainian government. However, mm-hmm. the Wagner group, on the other hand, was set up by a fascist who has fucking SS swastika thing. Not swastikas, the SS epaulets tattooed on his yeah, collarbone. That doesn't surprise me. Mm. It was, it was it, it, yeah, going on about how the the Ukrainians were full of Nazis. It's like, hang on, your own forces are full of Nazis. Maybe you should look at your. Couldn't they both be full of Nazis? Quite possibly. Mm. Well, I do think that the, you know, the, the Jewish president of Ukraine would be highly unlikely to be a Nazi sympathizer. Well, did, did he control everything in Ukraine? And when he came to power, was he shit scared that he was going to be killed by some of these elements and ended up uh, possibly? possibly. Yes. Or, or did he find them useful to sit out on the front line mm. and maybe have less Nazis left at the end of it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know that a Jewish leader coming into power in the Ukraine could suddenly go. You know, I think I'm going to get rid of a large section of the military force here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, especially some of the the highest trained. Yes, there's a limit to Most. the power that he acquired upon becoming the president. Yeah. Just speaking of Ukraine, how's that counteroffensive going? Still waiting. It hasn't Same. started. Still it waiting. It started. You know, it is one of those things. Ukraine doesn't have the air superiority to take out the pre-prepared Russian defensive positions. Ergo, there will be no counteroffensive that is Potentially a- not. effective in any way. But there, there, will, exactly. there will not be. Well, same as First World War. There was no air defense. Yeah. Even the Second World War was kind of sorta. Yep. It, it's we're looking at this with American eyes, which was, or even more European eyes, where we scaled back huge artillery barrages, uh, and you, Russia and Ukraine have always relied on artillery barrage. Mm. So it's normal Soviet doctrine. The problem is a shortage of munitions. Mm. Basically, there aren't the huge stockpiles. Russia had the larger stockpiles. But they're yeah. burning through those as well. The The question is whether the West are willing to ramp up the production of munitions to the point where Russia realizes that it can't out-bombard Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I sent you guys a link, which was basically quoting a guy, a U.S. Army War College, John Nagy, or Nagil, told the Wall Street Journal, America would never attempt to defeat a prepared defense without air superiority. But they, the Ukrainians, don't have air superiority. And he said, it's impossible to overstate how important air superiority is for fighting a ground fight at a reasonable cost in casualties. So, they don't have air superiority, so unless they're going to give them... Soviet doctrine said otherwise. Soviet doctrine said... Artillery, artillery, artillery. Forget the, the fighters. Forget air superiority. Right. I, I think what we're, we're looking at it through Western eyes that said air superiority is the way to go, but this is a Soviet era 
battle, mm. which was all about artillery. Mm. Well, it's just going to keep going. It's a meat grinder for the poor Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. Huh. It'll just keep going and going until eventually Zelensky or somebody agrees to a ceasefire, which will be for everyone to stay where they kind of are right at this moment. That's what eventually yeah, I mean, you'll uh, get there. The... Uh, the analyst that I listen to is saying, effectively, Putin thinks he can win because he thinks the West are going to give up. Mm. And, and the way to get Putin to realize that he's not going to win is for the West to say, here's a long-term agreement that we will support your defense. Mm. And that makes it just too costly for Putin. Mm. We'll see how it all ends up. Mm-hmm. Right. Awareness of the Pricewaterhouse confidentiality misuse. So we're, we on this podcast, and you, dear listener, as a regular listener, are aware that Pricewaterhouse Coopers, PwC, as it's probably now known, basically was giving advice to the government about how to catch tax cheats and then was turning around to its clients and saying, well, this is the advice we're giving the government, and if you want to get around that advice, this is what you should be doing, kind of like mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. This is what you need to bear in mind. So part of the essential poll was asking people whether they are aware of it, just testing the awareness of the public, and so asking people to respond. One response was, I've heard about it, and I know what it's about. That was 33% of people. 27% said, I've heard of it, but I don't know what it is about. And 40% of people said, I haven't heard of this. Where the fuck do these people put their heads? Mm. Facebook. And uh, TikTok. Interesting. I, like I can't the... believe that 40% of people haven't heard of it. Mm. 40% of people do not follow current affairs. Yes. Ugh. Only about 250 listen to this podcast. That's a problem. We could have bumped that number up if we'd had more people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, well, talking of such things, mm. I, I heard a really interesting podcast about how to hack the listener algorithms to turn up in the top 20 podcast charts. Oh, okay. <laughs> if, I were in, if I was interested, I'll look it up. Hey, what I like about Essential is they ask that broad questions often, and then they break it down by gender, age, and voting intention. And so mm-hmm. I've just told you that 40% of people overall have never heard of this Coopers fiasco. If you break it up by gender, dear listener, 51% of females have not heard about it. 30% of males have not. So big gender difference there. Hmm. It doesn't surprise me. I think this is historical stereotypes. Hmm that leads into the expectation that that's for somebody else to worry about. My wife for a long time was like, oh, well, you just tell me which way to vote at the next election, <laughs> which I refused to do. Yes. But I did, I did show her how to look up, you know, the different political parties' websites and at least make an informed decision rather than just going down and picking the first thing that, she was handed. Okay. Just repeating a gender stereotype there. Okay. All right. Yes. Look, it's an N of one, but I think 
Mm. Historically, people were not encouraged. Certainly girls were not encouraged. Mm. Maybe boys were slightly more encouraged. Mm. I, don't, I don't know that it's necessarily a gender stereotype as much as societal expectation. Maybe it's, I should have looked at the age one. Because it's still the same now with the age, you know, because I've got to say my daughter is, yeah, was youth parliament quite interested still in going into politics mm. yeah. and actually you not with the greens, I hope. Scott, I don't think so. Honestly, Scott, you are just, our listener, Liam, gets very frustrated with you. (laughs) Yes. It's like, come on, you've never come up with proper reasons for this. He finds it very frustrating. Okay, that's fine. Well, you can give him my email address if you want to, and we can, we can, have, a, we can have a discussion offline. I, I might get him on the podcast, actually. Open yeah. invitation, Liam. You can go for Scotty. You, you can have a debate. Yeah. Anyway, gender, yeah. 51% of women haven't heard of it. There we go. One more, a couple more polls before we move on. Actually, I saw something by Paul Vapor. He wasn't happy with me. Uh, the amount of we've done looking at polls on The Voice. Oh, yeah. Frustrated him. I simply responded and said, well, I find it really interesting that The Voice polls sort of looked like a win for the yes vote. It has now shifted to what seemed like a win for the no vote. And just the way that the Trevor. Well, I just found it interesting that it shifted in the... The categories that it shifted in amongst gender and mm. voting intention and all that. So, sorry, Paul, but I, th- okay, the polls don't come with explanations as to why people think that way. But when you take into account gender and voting intention and age and stuff like that, you can speculate about these things. That's all part of the I fun. I also wonder the whole Trump and the whole Brexit thing mm. were such surprises because people didn't feel that they could tell the pollsters which way they were going to vote. Yes. And therefore the actual votes were a surprise. So does that mean that people are more willing to say to the pollsters what they're thinking about? Or are we going to get a huge surprise when it comes to the referendum that actually it's another 10 or 15% yes. who were saying that they would vote yes when they're not going to? There is that deplorables argument in play here. Mm. Yes. Anyway, I found it all interesting. Paul, I'm going to keep going with polls on The Voice whenever I see one. And I'll let you know what it is. And I'll do some speculating. Mm. Dan cancelled the Commonwealth Games for Victoria. We mentioned that before. They asked people. because he's a commie fascist. <laughs> right. The people who hate, that news.com.au the people hate Dan Andrews. There's no adjective that they wouldn't use to describe exactly. it. Yeah. Donald knows why he keeps winning. Well, because what the what the media say, what Sky exactly. News say, it doesn't actually reflect what, reality. What News Corp says doesn't yeah. reflect what exactly. Yeah. So, question was: Victoria withdrawing as host of the Commonwealth Games. Do you approve of the decision by Victoria's government to pull out of hosting of the Commonwealth Games? And think about it, dear listener. The answer is. approve of Dan's decision. 36% say no, the game should have gone ahead. That's a lot closer than I thought it would have been. The rest were done. This is a a national poll. Yes. I suspect if you look at Melbourne, it would be closer to 80% yes, 
regional Victoria would be closer to 80%? No. Yeah. Because uh. regional Victoria was going to get the funding and Melbourne was funded. Yeah. Maybe if you can quickly, while I'm doing this, Joe, I didn't look at the mm. state breakdown of the okay, answer to I'll this. I'll see if I can find it. Yeah, yeah. Essential poll. See if you can get the state breakdown while we're talking. I'll keep going with still that same question. Younger people in the 18 to 34 group, 48% happy with Dan. Older age group, 37% were happy with Dan. So the younger you were, the happier were that the games were cancelled. So that was the essential poll. But I did then see a different poll. This is on Q&A, the Q&A audience poll. Now there's a left-wing urban elite poll in sample, if ever you've seen one, I would have thought. Take this one with a grain of salt. They asked people, should the federal government intervene to keep the Commonwealth Games in Australia? And 83% said no. 12% said yes. Who are these 12%? All right, I have the state-based results. Oh, yes. It was 44 to 36. Agreeing uh, with Dan in Victoria. 44% agreed with Dan in Victoria. Yeah. 36 disagreed. Okay. So same number disagreed. Not that different. 36 figure is, yeah, it was 3% extra who agreed. Hmm. Queensland was 42%. New South Wales was 40 South Australia was 39. WIO was 36. I think that's why I didn't put it up was because actually it wasn't that different. So fairly even amongst the states in their opinion about what Dan did, even Victoria compared to the other states, that different. Yeah, 8% compared to WA, which was the largest. Yeah. There we go. So it's not happening anyway. Scott, do you reckon it might be the end of the Commonwealth Games? It's one of those things. I did read that, that they reckon it could be the end of the Commonwealth Games. Because, you know, you've got these African countries and all that sort of stuff that could never afford to put on the sort of party and that sort of stuff that we are beginning to demand from it. Mm. And, you know, apparently the only one that's put their hand up saying they could be interested in it would be London. Right. Now, London, you know, wouldn't have to build anything new because they've still got it. So just one of those things. Mm. You still, know, it still probably costs a lot of money, even if you have the infrastructure. I don't know. Yeah. It's, you've only got to house them. Oh, you've no doubt got to provide all sorts of security, housing, mm. sort of broadcasting facilities and. Well, they've got, they'd, they'd have all those broadcasting facilities left over from when London hosted the Olympics. Mm. They'd have all that sort you've of You've got to man them and staff them and. Yeah. It's a, that's going to be staffed by the people that are broadcasting it. So yeah, that wouldn't be a cost for them. Gold Coast Commonwealth Games had a big cybersecurity response room because they were worried about somebody hacking them during the games. There's, there's a whole load of additional security that and just overhead that aren't obvious. Hmm. And you have to ask, will you get extra people to pay mm -hmm. for it all in terms of, are these people coming to London anyway? I don't know. It's such a tourist mecca. Who knows yeah. how the sums add up. Look, I, all I do know is that if you want a report to s recommend that you, you know, that London take the games on, 
there will be a consultant out there somewhere who'll give you that report. Exactly. Oh, I'm sure. And if you want a report that says that you shouldn't, there'll be a consultant in there somewhere. Out there that would do that for you. Yeah. I think with this Commonwealth Games one, there's a bit of discussion about, well, who provided reports and forecasts about costs and what, what did we, who were we relying on and what did they say in the beginning when Victoria took this on? Because I think the original estimates were like $2 billion and it's blown mm-hmm. out to 6 Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was one and a half. It went up to three and then it went up to six. Yeah. So it's doubled each time. So, well, who wrote these reports that got the figures so bad? And, you know, was that, a le- was that legitimate to be so off in your costings because things have gone up so much since that time? Or was I, I it. I believe that there were differences in opinion between the Commonwealth Games Committee and the Victorian government. Over. Oh, in terms of cost. Right. Mm. So the Commonwealth Games said, oh, no, it's quite cheap to run. Mm. And the Victorian government did their own figures and went, yeah, we're not so sure about that. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, there'll be consultants' fingers on reports all over the place. Last week, we, well, I think for the the podcast picture, I had a a picture of Scripture Union and Al Capone, and and I said, what do they have in common? And, of course... It was about tax evasion, tax problems. Yes. And I mentioned at the time, I shout out to Alison and suggested a statue for her. And I just wanted to also mention that Alison is part of a team there at the Queensland Parents for Secular State Schools. And one of the team, of course, is Julia. I think, was Julia one who came to a very early meeting of the secular party in the very early days? I, I remember the Queensland Parents, I think Kathy was there. Don't know if Julia was there. I, I don't remember. It was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, it was a long time ago. But anyway, Julia, I should have mentioned because it was Julia who discovered the problem with the Scripture Union and what they were claiming with their deductible gift recipient status. And while Alison lodged it, certainly initiated in a large degree by Julia. So a special mention for Julia for the good work. I don't think I'm allowed to say your last name, Julia. I think you want to keep yourself anonymous. Being mentioned on this podcast is probably a risky career move for a lot of people. Yeah. So Alison's the spokesperson for QPSSS. Julia does a lot of work as well in there. And I've I've forgotten other people. Let me know and I'll mention you as well. So there we go. All right. Labor Party and Albanese and submarines. And a tweet by Rex Patrick. Apparently... Albanese has said that at the upcoming party conference, he does not want AUKUS or the submarines discussed and on the agenda. And this is a real problem with we're having with this presidential style of politics where the leaders of these parties now feel that they can control the policies ethos, culture, everything about a party and not recognise that, hang on a minute, the membership and the other leaders have some say in this. So Rex Patrick tweeted, it cost, it's cost $368 billion, delivers a first sub in 10 years' time, introduces nuclear reactors to Australia, benefits foreign shipyards over local, was announced as a fait accompli and you don't want to discuss it at your party conference? Really? 
I think he's got a good point. He's got a very good point. What's the point of a party conference? Well, yeah, to agree with the leaders. It's one of those things like, you know, the Labor Party used to be very proud of having knocked down, slap out fights and that sort of stuff. Mm. You know, and they, they also made it very much open in that type of thing where you had, you had cabinet ministers on opposing sides that were having these verbal stouches with one another. But at the end of the day, they shook hands and moved on. It's one of those things that... Uh, that was one of the strengths of the Labor Party. Absolutely, it was. It was a real that, strength that, of them. That was when it represented working people. Yes. And, well, and when... That was under it, Hawke and Keating and that sort of stuff that you still had those, you still had those brawls and that type of thing going on. Mm. So I would have thought that, you know, that's where they were starting to lose their touch with the uh, working people was back then. So I don't understand what planet Albanese is on because he's from the left faction and all that type of thing. And God alone knows why he's so enamored with these submarines. You know, I really would have thought that uh, that with a $368 billion price tag on it, he could turn around and say, nah, that's far too expensive. You know, in the scheme of things, Scott, the Greens could make a lot of mistakes and they wouldn't add up to yeah, the orcas submarine mistake. They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't add up. That's just an argument for Liam for later on if he comes Yeah, on. I know. It's one of those things. It, it, it's like I said, you know, I felt very dirty because I found myself agreeing with Max a hell of a lot, mm. you know, because he was making a hell of a lot of sense. Mm. I, I was just watching a thing about South Korea and talking, one of the things they were talking about, the defense policy. And, and saying that they built these very, very small, very, very quiet, air-independent submarines because if South Korea was going to be fighting a war, they were going to be fighting it around South Korea and they didn't need these huge nuclear submarines that the Americans had because they weren't going to be fighting away from home. And I went, that sounds like an awfully familiar argument. Yes. Where did they buy them from? They make them themselves. Probably. German. Oh, German, yes. Yeah. Probably for just a, a billion dollars off the shelf. Get it next week. I also saw that... That was the Japanese price, wasn't it? About yeah, a billion dollars each. Yeah, that was similar um, pricing, I think. Mm. Yeah, so, you know, it's $12 billion versus... What have we got here? we got one that's costing 68. $68 billion, You know? None of it makes any sense, except that the Yanks appeared determined to drag us into a war over Taiwan. Mm. You know? It's... And, and the American submarines are not invincible. There was a Swedish female submarine captain who has successfully stalked and killed one. And their, their submarines use Sterling engines. And this was in naval exercises power. where they did yeah, this. Yeah, this was thing. in exercises, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the first time that one of these yeah, nuclear hunter killers has been stalked effectively mm. and killed. Mm. Yep. Bit quiet in the chat. Come on, guys. You can make some comments. We'll read them out. Just back to Alison. She's a friend on Facebook. She changed her cover photo to include something positive about the voice and voting yes, I think. I don't think I've ever seen somebody's... I'm actually going to be voting yes for, but I think that I'm on the losing side of that. I, I've never seen somebody change a Facebook photo and launch such a debate <laughs> over a simple photo change. It just went, the comments went kaboom. 
I quite enjoyed yeah, reading them because people were well-meaning, I think. People didn't mm. get nasty, but there was certainly some toing and froing on the topic amongst... She has every right to be wrong. But this is amongst Alison's, you know, rationalist, secular friends. Mixed bag of opinions there. Entertaining to read. I thought John Perkins was quite good, his comment. Saying, former... Well, is he the current president of what was the secular party? I don't know what his role is. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yes. I didn't think she was wrong to put it up there. You know, it's, it's one of those things I just think to myself that we've got to actually spark this debate because the yes campaign has been silent on a whole lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, if they would actually open their mouths and that type of thing and actually not be afraid of debate, then they might actually find themselves turning the corner on the on the, the whole thing. Well, you reckon the yes vote's not vocal enough? They haven't been out there enough? So no, I don't think they've been out enough. Okay. Mm. I seem to see them everywhere, but maybe that's just the circles I'm mixing. Well, you know, it's one of those things up here in Rocky you don't see. No, probably not. No. Yeah, you're a hotbed of no voters up there. I would have thought so, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Scott, do you reckon if the polls got really bad and it was a certain defeat that Albanese would just call it off, you think? No, I don't think he would call it off. I think he should, but I don't think he would call it off. Okay. You know, I think he's he's just got it in his head and that sort of stuff. He's got to actually deliver this. Mm-hmm. And I just think to myself, it would be an absolute bloody disaster if it was actually defeated resoundingly and that sort of stuff at the, at the upcoming referendum. Now, it depends on what your definition of disastrous is because mm. if, it was, if it was narrowly defeated in that, you know, you didn't get a majority of states but you did have a majority yes across the country, then that would be a shattering case for them. It's one of those things, if it was defeated both in the majority, if, if it failed to get a majority of yes and it also failed to get a majority of states, then that would be a crushing defeat for them and that would actually knock her on the head for another generation. Mm. So if the no vote wins, you see mm. it as a international humiliation for Australia? Is that what you're, when you're saying? No, I don't think it's What are you saying, a disaster? What do you mean by disaster? Just a disaster for the no campaign, but be anything beyond that? It would be a disaster for the yes campaign if it was the, defeated. Sorry, yes. Hmm. And uh, it's just one of those things, and I just think to myself that he should have a closer eye on the polls, and he should actually look at the polls more. Well, maybe he is, but what's he... Is he's because he's out there? He was on two GB talking to Ben Fordham or whatever, and yeah. so Albanese is trying to sell it. I think, yeah. But he's in the beat up cool. in the Murdoch rags that he wore a T-shirt that said the voice, uh, the treaty, uh, the whole truth or something. Yes, yep. So they and, were saying yeah, this is the thin end of the wedge. Yes. They were saying that this is the first of three things, treaty and mm-hmm. some sort of truth. And reconciliation. Yes. Yeah. Sort of South like African possibly. style. Yeah, which I don't have a problem with. I don't have a problem yeah. with the truth telling thing. I think we've got to actually have that because it's one of those things. I think that if you actually say to the average Aussie out there that oh, they were pretty badly mistreated, mm-hmm. I think they'd actually think to themselves, no, they haven't been. 
it's one of those that, that would think what I, I think that the average Aussie would say no they haven't been mistreated right you know I, I don't think they're, his, they're aware of the history of the treatment of Aboriginal people in this country mm. you know it was I don't know I just find an essential poll on that one I don't know. Well, I think the average pollster and that sort of stuff that Essential would be would be auditioning for would be finding people that would be aware of it. But, you know, it's one of those things I only started reading about it five or six years ago. Mm. And I was aghast at what we'd actually done, you know. But I, I find that a lot of the 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 zeitgeist these days is is very much the myth of the noble savage. That everything was sunshine oh, and roses till the white fella appeared. I agree, and that is wrong. You know, and that's where we've got to have truth telling from both sides. Absolutely, that they actually have to acknowledge that they weren't particularly nice to each other. You know, they did actually bludgeon each other over the, bludgeon each other to death and that type of thing. It's well, a very brutal. Even, even you know, no access to modern healthcare. Yeah. I, I think there, there there needs to be some understanding that it, it wasn't all bad, that there were some horrible things, but I think that I don't, there have also been some positives. I'm going to take a punt and say that would not yeah. be on the agenda of a truth. Almost. Uh, almost no, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be, but I think it should be. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I don't think I don't think that I did actually agree with John Howard and that sort of stuff at the time when he said he doesn't believe in intergenerational guilt, and I agree with him. I don't mm. believe in inter intergenerational I, guilt either, but I, I do believe that we've got to actually have an open, honest discussion about it. It's very much what have the Romans ever done for us, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it is for mm. sure. Mm. You know, it, it's one of those things. Like you know, it. I think one of your friends, was it Scott or Joe, was saying, could you just go through what's going to happen if there's a no or a yes? Like, what's the outcome? I've not seen that. Maybe oh. it was Scott. Oh, but anyway. I mean, you know what? I reckon in this day and age, if the no vote wins, there'll be an uproar about it. And six months later, people will be just wondering who's going to win the next Melbourne Cup. Like, honestly. People's yeah, attention span for these things. Amongst a certain sector, it'll be ongoing grievance, but a lot of people will just charge on. I think that, I mean, the, I think that Albanese will charge on to create something if, and that sort of stuff that'll if, be recognised by the parliament. If, if we're following the American line, as we seem to do culturally, and the things that Donald Trump has got up to, and then just the world just keeps moving on, you know, lots of bad things can happen. People forget about it. If the yes vote gets up, then... You know what? Nothing's going to change because there'll be this voice and it will make the recommendations that have been always recommended and they won't deal with the real issue, which we're about to deal with right now, dear listener. Well, and that has been a complaint, isn't it? That mm. this is a good way of distracting people. Mm. Yeah. So, well, this is the first of at least a three part series. I've, I've written a little thing here. We'll just work our way through it. But I wanted to look at culture in terms of the voice. And here we go. Interrupt me whenever you feel like it. 
Blacks say a lot of we black fellas and you white fellas in statements that emphasise the difference between the two groups. Sympathetic whites say them and us and defer to Indigenous claims of being special. Both of these groups, we'd say are from the left, encourage the idea that Indigenous people are inherently different to white people. And that really annoys me, and I reject it in many ways. Okay, there's going to be differences because of culture, which we're going to get to, but inherently there isn't. The truth is that any inherited biological differences are trivial. Real differences are cultural. To use a computing analogy, we have the same hardware, which is our DNA. Some of us use a different operating system, which is our culture. You like that example, Tech Guy Joe? Yeah. Hardware for DNA, operating system for culture. I think there's some good similarities there. It's not a bad analogy. Yeah, I mean. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to look at, also, hardware's seen more as fixed and operating systems are things that get updated and are more flexible. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, the difference between a gene and a me. Yep. And you could have two computers with the same hardware, but work quite differently with a different operating system. Mm -hmm. hmm. Anyway, I like the analogy, so I'm going to keep using it. So the discourse around the voice fails to contemplate that the operating system of culture is changeable and can be upgraded. Culture is seen as more legitimate if it is pure and uncontaminated by modern influences. In Indigenous circles, it is given an almost sacred quality beyond rational criticism. To suggest a purposeful cultural change is to commit cultural blasphemy. Except for religion. They're allowed to upgrade their religion because that's fine. Yes. Strange that. Hmm. Mm. Noel Pearson himself, quite religious. Yeah. You know he wants the Bible translated into me. his local language and will Jesus. not be satisfied or comfortable until it is. Yeah. That's episode three of this podcast, Scott. You don't remember us talking about that seven years ago? No, I don't. Mm. A hell of a lot's happened since then. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, the left has failed by refusing to acknowledge the ideological, cultural choices that many Indigenous people make. Now, before speaking about choice, I'll make a couple of concessions, namely number one. An obviously black man does not have a choice when racially discriminated against in a shop or a police station or something like that. So, while race is a myth, racism isn't. And secondly, an Indigenous person who has grown up in a strict Indigenous culture is not unlike a member of a cult or a strict religious community in the sense that they have been indoctrinated into accepting a certain way of life. And they don't have much choice either. So in the following paragraphs and minutes as I'm talking about choice, I'm recognising that there are people who are deeply indoctrinated into a culture and let's be honest they don't have choice 
because they're not aware of their options. Much like a cult member is in that situation. But if you're a moral relativist, mm -hmm. then all cultures are equal. Yes. And equally valid. Yes. I guess I'm not one of those. No. Yeah. We'll get on to that. But, so I talked about the exceptions, and there could be others I just haven't thought of, to this choice argument of culture. But there are a significant number of people, of Indigenous people, who have been exposed to alternative cultures and ideologies who could decide to create, to curate their cultural values. Some people have the ability to decide. But these people, identifying as Indigenous and adopting Indigenous culture and values is an ideological choice. That statement's going to really annoy a lot of people. So I'll repeat it. Are these people, you've heard already, it's not all of them, a fair number of them, those who have been exposed to alternative cultures, identifying as Indigenous and adopting Indigenous culture and values is an ideological choice. Nothing wrong with that, but all ideologies are open to criticism. No ideology is sacred. I found as I was writing this, I see a lot of similarities with religion, with these things, an untouchable sacredness to the Indigenous culture, the spiritual nature of Indigenous culture, the fact that you can't criticise it because that's blasphemy. And, and this is not a new thing. As I said, mm. I, I actually looked at the Wikipedia article on the Noble Savage, mm. and that's well over 100 years old. Mm. Th this idea that Indigenous people were purer, were more closer to nature and, and, and lived in harmony, and mm. it was very much a, an unassailable idealism. And part of that is because it's seen as inherent, an inherent almost biological function rather mm. than a intellectual choice. And inherent biological functions are seen as more pure and worthy and not open to criticism. I think that's sort of part of this whole thing. Anyway, the ideas, norms and practices that some Indigenous people choose to adopt are up for debate. So, remember Margaret Thatcher? Who could forget her? Who could? We can't criticise her for an inherent characteristic like being a woman. But we can criticise her neoliberal ideology. This argument is the same thing. We can criticise cultural ideology. I see urban elite Indigenous leaders like archbishops. Of course, there are exceptions, but some broad sweeping generalizations. You want some broad sweeping generalizations of my analogy between elite indigenous urban leaders and archbishops. Here we go. They want special privileges for their group by virtue of holding a certain ideology. They think their members are better than non-members. Like original sin, white fellas have inherited the guilt of their ancestors. Blackfellas have inherited the noble spirituality of their ancestors. 
Yeah, I mean, unlike original sin, you can be you know, partially Aboriginal. You can have one Aboriginal ancestor. Mm. You can't have partial original sin. True. Your original sin gets wiped away through by con- a choice when through, you're con- older. through confession, mm. and it gets wiped away by latching onto an indigenous. And again, does it though? Mm. Yeah, it does. Or you- because people with mix- mixed ancestry completely just wipe away their white well, ancestry. I see, but, but but a white person can't adopt. No. Can't, can't go and confess and be given absolution. No, that's true. Though it, it's not something that can be assuaged. Yeah. I'll keep going with these similarities. They believe, so the similarities between the Indigenous leaders and the archbishops, they believe that all of their members are persecuted and they rarely acknowledge class differences within their community. Number four. It's their job to accentuate difference with outsiders. Number five, it's their job to maintain traditional dogma and values. This is an important one. Both of them are conservative to change as change could threaten their privileged positions. If cultural change is obviously needed, they will be the last to accept it. This is the leaders. Because change leads to assimilation and loss of group identity. Two more similarities to go. They both purport to speak for their members, but the lived experience is often completely foreign to the most downtrodden members of their group. I'm thinking urban elite Indigenous leaders in Canberra and remote people in Arakoon. I'm thinking archbishops in fancy palaces and downtrodden Catholics out the back of Ipswich. They both speak of the common good, but their effect is to divide our society. So, of course, many Indigenous people are suffering. Of course, we should help them. But maybe, just maybe, instead of blindly encouraging Indigenous culture and identity, we should encourage a critique of that ideology. Maybe parts of the ideology are to blame for some of the mess. Oh. People won't like that. Maybe humbugging and communal ownership should be dropped from the ideology, from the culture. It's just culture. It's supposed to change and evolve. Maybe living in remote areas as a nomadic hunter-gatherer made sense 250 years ago. But maybe times have changed and living a sedentary lifestyle in a remote area with few employment prospects and a social welfare system is not a good combination of circumstances. You know, that could be the root of the problem here for a lot of communities. And if it is, then the voice isn't going to solve it. I'll get to that. I I did see, actually, Weeper. No, not Weeper. What's the other one? Gove, up in the Territory. Mm. Apparently the bauxite mine is going to close within the next, is it five years? And when the bauxite mine closes, the royalties will dry up. Right. And they're saying that there is quite a large community up there that will suddenly have a lack of income 
that the, the miners were giving them mm. and that effectively they're going to be dumped out onto the welfare system. Right. Unless some careful planning mm. is... Mm. So there, there, there was a concern that, yeah, historically remote communities that have made a living from selling mining rights yep. in their areas, uh, that's not going to last forever. Were they successful communities relying on royalties where people didn't have to actually do anything but just collect the royalties? I, I strongly suspect that led to dysfunction as well. But I oh, don't know no, the no. circumstances. So they, they said, I think, local community leader had made sure that it wasn't just living easy money, that they had set up some right. businesses with the money. Okay. But again, that there were cultural issues. Mm. So, yeah, I, I think it was highlighting that <clears throat> Yeah, living in remote communities is not a, an easy thing. No. So, yeah, so I've said uh, maybe times have changed. Living in a sedentary lifestyle in a remote area with few employment prospects in a social welfare system is not a good combination of circumstances. Maybe it is those circumstances and not racism which are causing Indigenous suffering. Maybe the current version of Indigenous culture is locking people into a hopeless situation. Maybe that culture needs an adjustment. Of course, this is blasphemy. Many rationalists consider it is their duty to confront religious zealots and debate the pros and cons of the religious belief, or at least debate the ethics of the special privileges they claim by virtue of their religious ideology. But on Indigenous issues, many rationalists have allowed empathy to overtake critical thinking. It is possible to sympathise with downtrodden Indigenous people and at the same time disagree with the solutions demanded by their leaders who are blinkered by a sacred devotion to maintaining cultural dogma. So I think, but we, we've seen well-meaning white people imposing solutions mm. from the outside and the harms that that has caused. And I think that's also why people feel unable to criticize. Mm. It is because of past actions, mm. which have been seen as paternalistic. Which ones are you thinking of in particular, Joe? Well, I'm thinking of mm. the Dolan generation, mm. but also just the, what was the wage retention Wrong. that happened? Yeah, uh, when people were working uh, um, on shearing and cattle stations and... Yeah, wages were confiscated. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, you know, you're not capable of looking after this yourself. We'll look after it for you. Yeah, it was it was very paternalistic and and yeah, not in the best interests. Have I told you this paternalistic story? My brother-in-law was working as a teacher in Bamaga, which is a indigenous settlement off Cairns, mm -hmm. and apparently, one of the locals won. This is years ago, like. 30 years ago or something like that, won some money on like a casket ticket, significant amount of money. And the local white storekeeper who sold him the ticket and confirmed his winnings and another white friend just grabbed this guy, took him in a boat back to the Cairns and forced him to buy a boat because had he taken the money, 
it would have been dissipated within hours or weeks and there would have been nothing to show for it at the end of the day and it would all have gone on on drink and whatnot and just good times. Yes. And they made him buy that so that he then had an asset from it, namely the boat, that was then his and that was a paternalistic white thing that was done at the time. Just a digression of the story. I was going to say the the number of lottery winners who end up, you know, jacking their their job and end up going back to work within a year because they've burned through all their winnings. Yes. Yes. Okay, back to my little spiel here. Right. Yes. Proponents argue that the voice is just another source of information to help decision makers. How can it be harmful to share more opinions? to get more information. That seems a reasonable proposition. Like, it can't be bad. It Maybe it won't do any good, but at least it's more information, more direct feedback. How could that be bad? And I've got two reasons why it could be bad. So the first is a problem with the voice in that it's tied to a commitment to create an advisory group with a racist membership requirement. So past racist policies do not justify creating new racist policies. The voices of Indigenous people can be heard and arguably already are within the spirit of a colourblind egalitarian community. The benefit of hearing from another group of special representatives from the victim community is outweighed by the disadvantage of perpetuating racial division. So, yes, you'll have another voice and more words, but you have, on the downside, justified creating an institution based on a membership, based on skin colour, of race. You have institutionalised a racist categorisation. That's really not good. I just had a sudden thought. Mm -hmm. This would be the equivalent of lobbying. Yes. This would be a specially created lobbying group. Yes. And I think that maybe a lobbying group to counteract the voices of rich people in Parliament wouldn't be a bad thing. So maybe we could have a voice that was made up of people who lived below the poverty line. Yes. So it wouldn't be racially based, but would be majority Aboriginal, just given our the fact that the demographics sounds like a class-based voice to absolutely yes we're going to talk about class in in the third episode of this okay little spiel yes you've got me with class joe Mm. i'm thinking that i think this it's a bit like the indigenous nrl all-star team selection is based on race the benefit of a good football game is outweighed by reinforcing racial difference. Can you imagine in the USA, the National Basketball Association or the National Football League organising a blacks versus whites game in the USA? Can you imagine it? No way. Hang on, we've got state of origin. I mean, it's (laughs) obvious that Queenslanders are better, but... There's no way America would contemplate a black versus white game of, in a sporting context, but we're doing it here. If they, it would be howled down as a terrible idea 
And Martin Luther King quotes would be flooding social networks. Um, I don't know. Give it 10 years and it may yet happen in the States. I don't think so. I guess like private school funding, we do things differently down here. But I digress. So that's my first problem with the voice, with the argument that says, it's just more information. How could that possibly be harmful? Well, the problem is it institutionalises an institutional approval of a racist division. Second thing, there's a more important one, I think. Indigenous advocates and their white supporters have been unwilling to critique and modify Indigenous culture, and the voice won't change that. It will perpetuate the problem. Members of the voice will view every problem through the lens of maintaining traditional culture they will be precisely the wrong people to give advice because of that. Because if I'm right and the problem is a culture that is being maintained that is unsuitable in a modern 21st century country, if I'm right, then they are precisely the wrong people to put in charge because there's no way they will be arguing for changes to traditional culture. They're part of the indigenous industrial complex. It's in their interest to maintain the status quo. They're not about to water down culture. If I'm right about that, then they are the wrong people. They will be a blockade to change. So that's my thoughts on culture and indigenous voice issue. Next time we deal with it, I'm going to look at the historical suffering, the inherited land rights, the inherited grievance, and the inherited guilt. So in this spiel, I didn't touch on that. And then the week after that, it will be looking at the issue of contemporary suffering and how Indigenous people are having a hard time. We just can't keep doing what we've always done, otherwise we'll always get what we've always got. No prizes for guessing, but I'm going to be running a class-based argument in relation to that. So, Scott, any thoughts on my, have I swayed you at all with my cultural argument or you're, you're still a yes voter? Have I, have I given you pause for thought or not? I'm going to go away, I'm going to go away and reread it. Okay. But I'm still inclined to vote yes. Fair enough. Mm. All right. What else we got here? 8.40. I reckon that's enough. What do you reckon? Yep. Yeah. No worries. Oh, we'll just quickly mention. So, Councillor Phil Truscott almost succeeded in having inserted into the Fraser Coast Council's acknowledgement of country a new form of wording and his suggestion was defeated by one vote. So his acknowledgement of country that he wanted was this. Fraser Coast Regional Council acknowledges the God of creation who gave us the traditional custodians. We pay our respects to the Lord God Almighty and all elders past, present and emerging. One vote in it. Nearly got it up. Bloody hell. Did you also see there was a council 
down south, I think, somewhere that has recently removed prayers from council's order of business. Yes. And they were trying desperately to get it back on. Yes. I can't keep track of all those councils. The Rationalist Society seems to be doing good work in Mm. that regard. Yes. So, yeah. So, uh, all right. That's enough for the time being. Lots of people are going to unsubscribe now as a result of this. That's okay. They're just getting the opinion as I see it. All of these statements, my own opinion, necessarily belong to Joe or Scott, unless they laughed. I'll take that as a sign of consent. Right. Next week, we'll be back. If you are a patron, you get the show notes. You know what? I'll probably put that spiel in the general notes as well. So if you want to read that, it should be in your app in the notes. My thoughts there. And uh, well, looking forward to the feedback. But you know what? Maybe hold off for three weeks until I get through chapter two and chapter three, because I am going to deal with the historical grievance of Indigenous people. And then I'm also going to deal with modern day suffering of Indigenous people. So if your argument relates to those things, I'm going to wait until I've dealt with them. In the how next how much of that was written by ChatGPT? Yeah, none of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, none of it. So. I actually asked ChatGPT, are there I any... I said no. I asked it, are there any sporting events in the world where the participants are, professional sporting events where the participants mm-hmm. are, are selected along racial grounds? And it said no. I said, well, what about the Indigenous mm-hmm. All-Star team? I went, oh, yes, well, the Indigenous All-Star team is selected on race, blah, 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 blah. Like, it was like... Where's the apology? You know, you just you just gave me a completely wrong answer. And that's what the Aboriginals are saying. Where's the apology? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Boom, boom. Yes. I want an apology from, from that artificial intelligence. From, from ChatGPT. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're going to be waiting a long time, I think. Yeah. Actually, Alice in the chat room says, I was pretty shocked, lol. Well, all I did was change my cover photo. It was, yes. yeah. But, you know, the calibre of debate was pretty good, Alison, I thought. So anyway. Matthew says, I think it's fair to say that European colonisation has brought a lot of good and a hell of a lot of bad for Indigenous Australians. And remote Indigenous communities arguably have a worse quality of life now due to the introduction of Western diets, sedentism, drugs and alcohol. I agree they do entirely for a lot of communities, for sure. I guess it depends. It depends on the quality of the lifestyle. Some of the people in the northern sort of the Gulf region fishing, quite a good lifestyle for some indigenous, but, you know, arid regions, nomadic, scratching away, pretty tough life. It it varied. Mm. Yeah, I I was going to say, I think Mm. it depends on the life they had before. Yes. And it was a mixture. Some lives were not too bad in the scheme of things. Others were pretty tough. Mm. I think the same is true of industrialization. The same is true of the invention of agriculture. Yeah. The problem is that, yeah, we are living in a different world and it's necessary to adapt. That's my argument. All right. Well, thank you for your attention. You can read that spiel in the show notes. We will be back next week unless we've been banned by YouTube or Facebook or (laughs) the internet in general. Yes. Talk to you then. Bye for now. Yeah, that's a good night from me. And it's a good night from him. Good night.